Pentecost Sunday, which Sunday, when the Holy Spirit historically is, after Jesus ascends, comes and gives everyone the gift of the Spirit, the gift of himself inside them. The Holy Spirit actually worked outside of them. It's like not that the Holy Spirit wasn't there. The Holy Spirit worked on the outside, nudging everybody. And um, But now he's within everyone who believes. And the faith that we have to believe, with which we believe, is given to us by God, the Holy Spirit. Um, instead of going into Acts 2 and talking about the tongues of fire and all that, I want to talk about a more miraculous thing that happens with the Holy Spirit is rescuing someone, a sinner, someone who is down the path of unrighteousness far from the brink of disaster, from the brink of ruin, from the brink of eternal damnation and bringing them back to God because as Christ says with God all things are possible even someone as far gone as you can imagine can be rescued and that's an act of God the Holy Spirit here on earth Jesus in John 17 said to his disciples well, he prayed to God for his disciples and said, may they know eternal, may they have eternal life. And eternal life is this, and he defines it. He says, knowing God and his son Jesus Christ is what eternal life. It's a knowledge of God. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes, God has placed eternity in everyone's heart. So that it's possible to find out who God is. It's called our conscience. And God puts himself, eternal life, because knowing God is eternal life, he puts himself in our hearts, the knowledge of him, so that we can grope and find him. Now, I read to you from Romans 1, and that's a very accurate description of the way the world is. And it says, when Paul writes they, he's writing to fellow Christians as a saved Christian himself, somebody who was rescued from the bank. He was far down the path, wasn't he? Paul was almost all the way to the end there, the point of no return, so to speak, and Christ manifested himself to him, pulled him back from that brink. So Paul is saying to fellow Christians in Rome, they... But we, when we read this, we should say, as Paul has said in, in, in Ephesians, we were like them. Some of us in this room may still be like them. Because we may think we believe, but we may not believe. That happens. And actually, it's, it's a healthy Christian life is one that goes through life saying wrestling with this wrestling as as the um, as the centurion says I think it was a centurion that said I believe help my unbelief we can be believers and wrestling with states of unbelief too 
So when we read this, we're like those people. We were. We've either been rescued or we're about to be rescued or we're in this process of being rescued. God places eternity on everyone's heart and what we do, the ungodliness and unrighteousness and sin, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We bury this. We don't want it because God is amazing. Now, that that word doesn't have as much force as it used to. Uh, Awesome. The word awful. Now we just go, oh, that's awful. The the food, my youngest, the food tastes awful. And we're offended. But but it's very, it's very a, a watered down word. But awful meant full of awe. And we now use awesome, but now that's been watered down. Gnarly dude, awesome. But we can't comprehend submitting ourselves to the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is so shockingly good and pure and righteous and holy and encompassing all. He is the author of salvation. He's a vast mind. He created everything. He's outside of creation, which means he has to be bigger than creation. He's just this amazing entity, and our little brains can't handle it. So what we do is we tend to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Even though God has put eternity in our hearts, and he has all of creation screaming at us, saying, there's a God, and he made all of us, he made you, what we intend to do is, I would rather worship people, because I can manage that. That's why when you look at all the false gods throughout history, they're essentially superheroes. They're essentially Marvel Comics superheroes that are human, and they sin, and they have capricious whims, and, but they have superpowers, and they're constantly fighting with each other and with us, and we, do, we, that's, we can manage that. That's why superhero movies are probably so popular now, because we're doing it all over again. Um, I was thinking about bad sermons the, uh, the other day, and, and there's one that I heard about uh, the, the pastor was comparing Jesus to Iron Man. He was like, Jesus is like Iron Man, and, you know, and essentially preached on Iron Man for 55 out of the 56 minutes of the sermon, and then at the last, the last second he said, oh, Jesus is like Iron Man. Well, no. Jesus is greater than Iron Man. Iron Man is one of these false gods that's like Zeus or something. And we're essentially doing it all over again. And we're saying, this, these are your gods. Or we'll worship animals because we can say, oh, I'm higher than the animals. So I can worship a snake, flying snake or something like that. Something that might scare, be scary. But... I can manage that. And so what pe- that's what people do. They know, even though they knew God, it says here, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. I don't want this God that can crush me. 
I don't want this God that could with a thought vaporize me. So I am going to go for the, the false God that I can manage. The foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And then God lets us do this. God then gave them over to their lusts because that's what we're doing. Idolatry is like adultery. God describes it in the Old Testament many times. It's It's being unfaithful to the God who is supposed to be, as, as the church is the bride, God is our husband. Christ is our husband. We're being unfaithful to our husband by worshiping idols. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And that's, as Paul would say in Ephesians, all of us were on that track. We're on it to varying degrees. Some have gone as far as just denying that God even exists. It says in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's burying the eternity that God has placed in the heart as deep as you can get. And it would seem like, oh, they can't be rescued. But they can. And that's why we're talking about this. Jesus, too. I read this in the, in the gospel reading. Jesus said, this is why I speak to you in parables. Because there are people that aren't meant to get it yet. If at all. And then you are wrestling with this. You are wrestling with belief. I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus actually helps our unbelief by speaking in parables. Because those who will never believe or have, are not going to believe yet are going to just ignore it, say it's nonsense, live in their superhero world for longer. And the ones whom God has chosen to snatch out of the fire are going to hear with the eyes of their heart. So there's that. Best... Um, doing my studies on this. Psalm 36 summarizes this up the best. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. So it's not God speaking to the ungodly in his heart. It's transgression. It's sin. Because we're all sinners. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for it flatters him in his own eyes. Our own sin pats us on the back and says, good going. Now when I'm saying us, once again, I just want to remind you, we're, we were at stages in, of this in life. No one is born, even if you were born into the church, there had to be some sort of conversion out of unbelief into belief. Because that faith that God gives us, that belief that God gives us, is a gift from God through the Holy Spirit, through Christ. We have that belief. But we were like that. 
even if we don't believe it, we were like that, all of us. Concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it, it flatters him. Don't hate your sin. It's cool. There's this illusion that God, God is a just God. God is perfectly just. Sinners will not get away with it. Okay? There's this illusion that God is not a just God. Or the illusion is more that justice means having mercy at the same time. Now, God is perfectly merciful. He does, he does a, a, a great merciful thing in rescuing some of us from certain death, from certain ruin. But some think that justice and mercy are simultaneous so that God, a just, a just judge, would wink. Go, hey, I, I know you didn't mean it. I know your intent wasn't there. But our intent is there. Our intent is to worship the self. If we don't worship celebrities, if we don't worship superheroes, if we don't worship animals, we're worshiping the self. I had a conversation with a guy in a coffee shop years ago, and he was like, I don't worship anything. Because I told him, everybody's worshiping something. You're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something else. I think it's a Bob Dylan song. You're going to serve somebody. And so he said, no, I don't. And the answer was... Yes, you are. It just happens to be yourself, and you don't see it because you're with yourself all the time. You're serving yourself. You're worshiping yourself. It just doesn't look like the same thing as you hear about in religions. You're not bowing down to yourself because I, you know I am myself. I <laughs> kneel to my, my own self. But what you're doing, every action, your thoughts are, how does this benefit me? And that's what's happening. So... A just judge does not let sin go unpunished. He must punish sin. Now, how does he do that? And save people and have mercy at the same time. What he does is he punishes his own son in the place of us. One who did not sin. And then he saves that son. And when I'm, I'm, I'm learning about, it's, it's constant learning. Learning about, you know, you don't just go to seminary and you go, okay, I'm done. You, you're like, yeah. actually, I have to unlearn a lot of the stuff that I learned in seminary. I discovered that the hard way. But one of the things I've learned as researching covenants, and there's a covenant that God makes with man, and that is, do this and you will live. It's the law. Here are the Ten Commandments. Here are all these permutations. And then we find out that, wow, I can't keep these because Jesus Christ comes and says, actually, yeah, if you think about it, you've broken the law. And we're like, well, well then we're, we're doomed. So then the second covenant is the covenant of grace, which is God punishes his son instead of us and we're saved. But that's a very simplified version of grace. The covenant is actually with Christ himself. And that's, that was a really hard thing for me to get. So I want to just try to make it as clear as possible to everybody here. Because I know 
we all think we get it, and I, and I, and, and I know we do. I know we do to some degree, but this, I think, is one of the most important things. God makes his covenant with Jesus. Jesus takes, his, takes the punishment for us. This is the deal. Jesus takes our punishment on himself. He gives us our, his righteousness. We're still sinners. I do this every week. There's my black cassock underneath. That's my sin. This is Christ's righteousness on top. The sin's still here. But Christ is covering my sin. So there's that little thing going on. But the, 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 the object that I always seem to slip on and not understand, and I have to keep going back to it, is that Christ is the only one who is saved. God doesn't save us. He saves Christ. We are in Christ by faith. We put our faith in Christ. God saves us, therefore, through Christ alone. And that is a difficult concept for even me to figure out. But that also helps because it focuses our faith on Christ. Because a lot of times we can say, oh, do I have enough faith? Well, faith in what? Because we, we have faith all the time. You all have faith right now that that chair is not going to collapse underneath you. I have faith that we're not going to have a nuclear war soon. I have faith that that I'm not going to die tomorrow. I have faith in people all the time. Jesus Christ says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Now, has anybody moved a mountain before? Yet? No one? Now, this is going to be weird. We do move mountains all the time. All you need is a really good backhoe. And you can start slowly moving a lot of earth from one place to another. They couldn't do that back then, but we can do that now. So we actually do have faith that can move mountains. Because I have faith in people. Qualified people to be able to dig up earth and move it over there. So that seems like that's kind of a weak faith because it's only a faith in person. But how many of us have faith that's even smaller than a mustard seed, I would say, that the Holy Spirit cannot, not moving a mountain from one location to another, throwing it into the sea, but move the soul of someone who is at the edge of destruction that we talk to this person, we love this person, and we know that they are on, they're sprinting to hell. And we say, I'm going to keep praying, but I don't see any hope faith that can move that soul from that path onto a path of faith, a path of of honoring God, a path of falling down and worshiping God, of actual belief 
That, that seems a much more impossible task than moving a mountain. And yet, God tells us he can do that too. That God has the power to, move, to, to rescue lost souls. That requires a lot of faith. And yet, God is able to give us that faith. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house. And you give them to drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. And here's a prayer in the middle of the song. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you. And your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come upon me. And let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. God gives us the power through his Holy Spirit to love our enemies. The greatest love that you can give to your enemy is to wish that they not be lost. And that that does take a lot of faith. A lot of the time we're using our faith in our personal belief. I believe, help my unbelief. But how many of us say, he doesn't believe. Help him believe. Make him believe. Make her believe. Amen. Please stand. <laughs>